Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Amen. Great. So just pray for us as we do that. Let's pray now, shall we? Father, we are so grateful. Father, we've come into this place this morning to worship you because you are worthy of our worship and our praise. Father, we've sung about your faithfulness and your goodness. We know your faithfulness every day. You have given us the promise that you would faithfully walk with us. Oh, Father, I pray that we would walk with you, that we would be in your word, that we would know your word, and that we would live your word, and the people around us would know that we are yours. In fact, you tell us in your word that the world will know that we are your disciples for the love that we have for one another. Oh, Father, may we do that. May we love on each other. May we be a gracious people, just as you were gracious. May we be merciful to one another. Father, thank you for your loving kindness towards us, for your patience and your gentleness to us as your children. Thank you for being our Father. There's so much that we can be thankful for. May our hearts be filled with gratitude for all that you are, for what you will do in our lives and through our lives. Father, we're filled with gratitude this, this morning for answered prayer. Father, we came together as a family and we cried out to you to help in regards to Pastor Will. And you were faithful and good once again. Thank you. Thank you for stop, stopping the bleeding that was in his brain. Thank you that he's out of the hospital. Thank you that he's in the rehab and he's starting to work hard now to rebound. Father, we, we pray that you would bring him back to total health. And we know that you are a God who is able. And Father, we lift up Barbie to you as well. Thank you for giving her the strength that she has needed over these last few weeks. Father, continue to give them comfort. Continue to give them strength. And Father, give them above all the peace that passes all understanding of knowing that you are with them. Father, we do want to pray for the Dominican Republic team this morning. Father, you have prepared them. You have ordained this trip for them, Father. I pray that you would continue to prepare their hearts and their minds, help them spiritually, mentally, emotionally, Father, for this trip that you have planned for them. Father, not only do we want to pray for their safety, but we want to pray that you would help them to be effective in the ministry that you've called them to. Now, Father, that they would go and just not only to serve one another, but to serve the people that they're in contact with there in the DR. Thank you for such a privilege that they have to serve. And Father, change them because of this trip. Father, we're thankful for the youth group that has returned. We're thankful for what you have taught them and for what they have learned and for, for the service that they rendered as well. Father, thank you for the testimony that they were. We're looking forward to the stories of what you have done. And Father, we know we live in a culture now where it's dark. We live in a dark culture. Father, help us to be light. 
Father, we know that this ruling of Roe versus Wade is going to come down soon. And Father, there's already the threats of violence and rioting and, and all kinds of evil things. Lord, we pray that it would not be that way. Protect the pregnancy centers, protect our churches. But Father, most of all, help us not to be driven by the culture, but Father, help us to affect the culture in which we live. And that means we have to love our enemies as we've been taught and to pray for those who persecute us. Father, help us to be faithful in all those things. And Father, now we lift up Pastor Paul as well as he comes to share your word. Father, we're so thankful for having your word. It changes us. I pray that we would be in it, reading it, living it, doing it. And Father, we thank you that your word, that is God-breathed, that is inspired, that Father, that we can feel the breath of your word this morning as well. Help us to be sensitive to your leading today. Thank you for the spirit in our lives that convicts us of sin, that gives us the strength to live this life that you've called us to. And Father, we'll be careful to give you thanks and all things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Pastor Mike, I got a question. If I'm at all four services and I'm a dad, does that mean I get to have four donuts? Now, Mike, I want you to think through that while I preach, and let's revisit that later. The way that works. Oh is gosh. That you're a pastor, and you wait till the very oh, end. Oh come on! <laughs> Again with the. Oh. <laughs> I like that. That was that was good. That was good. I'll, I'll preach now. <laughs> this weekend we continue our series called "Making Faith Work." There is something that is on my heart. It's been on my heart for a couple years, and I believe uh, it's probably been a lot longer uh, than what I've noticed. It's sobering. It's sobering. I, I think America has a new religion. It's not Christianity. It's not Islam. It doesn't seem to have a flag or a parade or a building. It doesn't, it doesn't buy into slick fundraising it seems to be growing in attendance, however. It's on the nightly news. It's mentioned in the paper repeatedly. And the interesting thing about this new religion is it doesn't seem to have a name. But it does have an emotion. It's called anger. This new religion will accept anyone as long as you can demonize someone or something. Members tend to get out of control. Then they justify their behavior, and it appears that they make a promise to fix problems with flare-ups. So if you want to join, be angry. And I'll say this. Because of the decline of gospel-centered churches, in the United States, many Americans are joining organized anger. We are known globally as Angry America. 
And I find that to be embarrassing. How about you? Just this past week, a DoorDash delivery driver in Philly shot a 17-year-old kid who's working at Chick-fil-A because the 17-year-old forgot to put the milkshake with the food for the delivery driver. It's just mind-blowing. I don't know what happened to me, but when I hit 30, I started watching 60 Minutes. I don't know if that's like an age thing or just, I don't know what that is. In October, there was a special interview with Francis Hogan. Now, that name probably won't ring a bell, but Francis Hogan spent the last 15 years working with some of the largest social media outlets in our world, so Google, Pinterest, Facebook. In May, she recently resigned from Facebook, and the reason why she resigned is interesting. So interesting, it caught the attention of 60 Minutes. Hogan explained that she left the company in May because the company began in 2018 to provoke people into anger. Hogan stated that some of Facebook's research found that angry content is more likely to receive engagement. Now listen, I'm not here to, you know, take a jab at DoorDash delivery drivers. My wife is a DoorDash delivery driver, okay? She also works at Starbucks, which is embarrassing, but, you know, you get it on. <laughs> I have Facebook. Our church has Facebook. We have a digital ministries pastor. I just merely want to point out that social media outlets are exploiting anger for profit and for viewership. And unfortunately, many Americans have allowed these platforms to turn them into angry people. And Facebook's picked up on it. They know that people will follow angry posts, will like angry posts, and will share angry posts because anger is the emotion behind this new religion that seems to have grabbed a lot of people's attention because people think angry is funny and they think angry works. Go into a meeting, go into an office, go into a family setting, yell, scream, kick, hurl things, mobs, rebellions. They all justify themselves because why? They're angry. But remember, Once anger is turned on, it's difficult to turn off, and the power of anger is not just reserved for the righteous. Unrighteous people are angry. Anger may be the emotion of a new, nameless religion that is dividing and is disrupting and is gaining in popularity. But there's one problem with this new religion. They couldn't get Jesus to join it. They might use his name, but they could not get Jesus to join it. The Jesus of the Bible did not come to this earth angry. He did not come to this earth to be right. If Jesus came to this earth angry, he would have wiped us all out in a matter of seconds. 
He came to this earth to reconcile two hostile parties. That's what the scriptures teach, that Jesus Christ came to this earth because we were enemies of God, and God is a just God who punishes sin. And Jesus came out of a love for his Father and for us to die on a cross so that the two could be united. Paul says this in Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you not angry, but holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If there's one person then understood this. It was the brother of Jesus, James. James understood the power of the word of God to transform angry people. Listen, today we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, and here's the point. The point is this. We either allow the word of God to transform our anger or we allow the world to transform us into angry people. I'll say that again. We either allow the word of God to transform our anger, or we sit back and watch, and the world will transform us into angry people. James chapter 1, 19 to 27. I want to do something unorthodox. I actually want to begin in verses 26 and 27 because a lot of people miss verses 26 and 27, and I think this is so deeply profound of what James says here. And then we're going to work our way back into verses 19 to 25. But look at verses 26 and 27 with me. This is what James says about a religion that is out there. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, this word religious is only found here in the entire New Testament. It's a very unique word that is being used. It has to describe our inner and our outer forms of worship. And so James says here that if you're following a religion that has what? An uncontrollable tongue, outbursts, that religion is worthless. And it's deceiving you. And it's leading you down a path that you shouldn't follow. Why? Because with our tongues, we either worship or with our tongues, we have war. James says, if you have a religion that leads to war because of your uncontrollable tongue, it's worthless. But why? Why is anger so bad? Well, let me just say this. Anger in itself is not bad. Anger only becomes bad when it's preceded by unrighteousness. Because you know this, and I know this, right? There's righteous anger, and there's unrighteous anger. 
James is talking about an unrighteous anger, and maybe to help you understand the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, I could help explain to you what righteous anger actually is. I appreciate Jim Bloom. He's a staff writer for DesiringGod.org, and he says this about righteous anger. Now listen to this. Righteous anger is being angry at what makes God angry. And righteous anger is the right word order because God is not fundamentally angry. He is fundamentally righteous. God's anger is the byproduct of his righteousness. So what's the problem with anger? The problem with anger is when it's preceded by an unrighteous, unholy, ungodly thoughts, and then we associate those thoughts and feelings with our emotion, anger, and now we see what? Angry America. See, really this is a problem of righteousness versus unrighteousness. Because to James in verses 26 and 27, unrighteousness really is the problem. When it grabs hold of our anger, unrighteousness does two things, James points out. The first is this, unrighteous anger blurs our vision. Look at verse 26 again. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, James says. That phrase, deceive themselves, is kind of actually deceptive in the NIV. Because the word themselves in the original Greek is the word cardia. It's the word for our heart. Heart in the first century language meant your entire person. So what's James saying? He is simply saying that, listen, if you have a religion that, that has these uncontrollable outbursts, it deceives your entire person. Deceives everything. And so James's point is very simple. Is that unrighteous anger can blur our vision. It, it can blur our sight. It's like steam or frost on a windshield. When I was in high school, we had a friend who was driving her car, and she couldn't figure out how to hit the, find a defroster in her car, and her windshield was covered with frost. And so her method was to stick her head out the window and to keep driving. I don't know if you've ever done that. You don't have to raise your hand. But she ran it right into a tree, okay? And she was fine, which meant that for the rest of her life, we could laugh at her, which is what we did, because we were in high school, and, you know, I mean, hey, why not? But... Who does that? Who drives with their windshield frosted over? Well, many of us walk around and we allow anger to frost our vision. Because what happens when you get angry? You tend to get tight-fisted. Your blood pressure begins to spike. Our words begin to slur. Saliva begins to overproduce in your mouth, which is disgusting. You begin to spit and all kinds of things, and then your mind starts racing, and you can't see the person in front of you because your vision is blurred. That would be unrighteous anger. James also says this, listen, if you're willing to follow this new, this new kind of religion, this unrighteous anger will also pollute your mission. 
It doesn't just blur your vision, it pollutes your mission. Look at verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The religion that our Father, the kind of worship that our Father wants is what? A kind of worship that in the outpour looks after what? The least of these, the orphans, the widows. It isn't being polluted by the world. You see, the mission of the church is to go and make disciples, as Pastor Kevin was saying earlier, and to teach them everything Jesus has commanded. And God has not just given us a plan, he's also followed that up with a promise. But what happens when we get unrighteously anger, that mission gets distorted, and we end up on another path not doing what Jesus has asked us to do. Andy Stanley, I was talking to Pastor Addison this past week, and he pointed out that in Andy Stanley's new book, Not In It to Win It, Andy Stanley writes this. When a local church becomes preoccupied with saving America at the expense of saving Americans, it has forsaken its mission. When a local church becomes preoccupied with saving America at the expense of saving Americans, it has forsaken its mission. Grace Community Church exists to help people know and to follow Jesus. It's not that we are unaware of the world. We are just not simply driven by the world. It's not that we are unaware we are Americans, but our status of Americans does not blur our mission to help people to know and to follow Jesus Christ. That is what Christ has called us to do as Christians. But we have allowed this unrighteous anger at times to come into our lives, and we're all guilty, myself included. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're wondering, man, have I really bought into this new kind of American ideology or religion? Am I really that kind of person? Well, I want us to look at verses 19 to 25 and ask three questions and maybe do some self-evaluation. The first one is this. Do you talk faster than you listen? Do you talk faster than you listen? In verse 19, James says something that is so profound. He says the first response should not be to speak. You know, James chapter one is about facing trials and temptations and testings. And when difficulties come in your life, James says the first thing you should do, when that person walks into your office and has a, a, an issue, when your wife comes to you, your husband comes to you, your kids come to you, the first response should not be to talk. Look what he says in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Really that phrase, take note of this, is understand. You have to come to an understanding. Well, how do we understand? James tells us. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, it's interesting, when I first started reading the Bible when I was about 18 years old, I read this verse, and maybe it was in my, my ignorant state, I just simply said, James, you know, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, how quick to listen? How can I speed up my listening? That doesn't, that doesn't seem to really make sense, and until someone pointed out that really this is a, a language that James is using to try to grab our attention. 
but it's very practical. He's trying to get us to see that in relationships, our first response should not be to jump to angry conclusions, but really should be to listen. Meaning that in our response to people, we should be late, not early. It's okay to take your time in responding to a situation, not to jump in with correction. So do you talk faster than you listen? You know, the reason why we know verse 19 is true because try to do the reverse of what James is saying. James is saying, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. But try to reverse that. And you see how your relationships work. You know, you should be slow to, slow to listen and quick to speak and qu- quick to get angry. And you tell me how things will go. You'll have more conflict. We know that. We're reasonable, logical, thinking people. And so what James is arguing here, this idea of being slow in our anger, slow in our talk, and quick in our listening, will reduce conflict. Second question is this. Do you justify your anger? Verses 20 and 21 and 22 talk about this idea that there is absolutely no excuse for poor behavior. You can't look at somebody and say, well, I, was, I acted like that because I was mad. No. Look at verses 20 and following. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore, get rid. Get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word that has been planted in you which can save you. Do not merely what? Listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. This, this idea that James presents of getting rid or, or stripping off has to do with like taking off clothing. He's basically saying, take off the unrighteous anger that is so prevalent in your life and put on the righteousness that God desires. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to put on a righteousness. And this is all throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and every kind. Paul says it in Colossians. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul writes, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. The idea of getting rid of something means a complete turning. It means you either allow the word of God to transform your anger, or you allow the world to transform you into an angry person. It's almost like you have this add-on when, when you have unrighteous anger. It's like you have this growth growing on your body that you need to get rid of. A few weeks ago, I was at the doctor's, and after a checkup, doc said, hey, anything else? I said, well, I have this growth on my hand. My kids like to play with it. It's just kind of, sorry, I didn't mean to freak you out, but there, it's, just, it's just growing there. I don't know what it is. So I said, what is that? He goes, well, it's a ganglion cyst. He goes, we actually call those Bible cysts. I said, what? I said, is that a medical term, doc? Dr. Walker, if you know him, he's a young guy, he's a great guy. 
He says, well, no, not really. But he goes, when I was in medical school, that's what we used to call them, Bible cysts. And I said, why is that? He goes, well, because about 100 years ago, you know, we would, the way that we got rid of them is we'd take the biggest book in the house, which was usually the family Bible, and then we'd have the person put their hand out, and we would just smack their hand as hard as we could with the Bible. So I went home, I told my wife this, and she said, well, let's try it. I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. James is saying that it's like you have this growth growing on your body. And the only way to get rid of your unrighteous anger is by humbly submitting to the word of God and allowing that to transform your anger. So the third question I want to ask you is, does your anger stay with you? Night and day, night and day, night and day. Last week I was um, fishing with my father-in-law, and it's interesting, when people say, did you go fishing, I usually say I went for a boat ride because I never catch anything, and he did the fishing. But I'll tell you what I did. I get out there, and I take a, 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 my hook, and I grab a little fish, and it's squirming around like this because it doesn't want to die. And you take the hook and you put it through its mouth and you put it in the water. And you're, I'm just praying. This is when my prayer life really increases. God, please let a flounder just bite that little fish. And let the flounder be greater than 17 inches but not more than 18. There's all kinds of rules in New Jersey right now about what size flounders you can catch. It's pretty amazing. And, and so this is my prayer life. Nothing ever bites. It's just a boat ride. But what's interesting when you're hunting or you're fishing is you're using bait, you're using a lure. I wanna say this to Christians because I think Christians can understand this the most. Do you realize that when the devil is roaming this earth, do you know what bait he bites and lures he grabs onto faster than anything else? The devil can smell your anger. It's like putting fresh meat in front of Satan himself. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter four. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The devil can smell your anger. And you wonder why unrighteous anger is so deadly it's because Satan smells it and he sees it and he pounces on people that are walking around and carrying anger in their hearts. And so James writes, listen, verse 21, humbly accept the word that was planted in you. God didn't come and put a bait in front of you and let you grab onto it. No, he took the seed of the gospel, he put it in your heart of who Jesus Christ was and he planted it in you. And the reason why he did that is because he saved you then, he can save you today. Because his promise is he'll save you tomorrow. We don't recognize how dangerous this unrighteous anger is. James does. And so he says, with humility, David Nystrom in his commentary on James writes, 
Humility is significant because it is necessary in order to allow the word to flourish. See, it's not anger that will transform you. It's humility. But the word of God can transform your anger. Or the alternative is the world will transform you into an angry person. As we conclude, I want to ask you this question. What does your anger say about God? Verses 23 to 25 says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, righteous anger upholds the nature and the character of God, and unrighteous anger just simply upholds me. I'm mad, and everyone should know it. So what does your anger today say about God? This new religion that has this emotion that many Americans are carrying around right now is dangerous and deadly because no longer do people want to be heard by others. Now they want to hurt others. I want to go out on a limb right now. This is Father's Day, and I want to speak directly to the men that are in this room. Most men are walking around angry. If there is one category that we excel in over women, it's not physical strength. It's anger. And it's tearing this country, it's tearing families apart. Because a lot of men are spiritually absent in their families, a lot of men are emotionally absent in their families, a lot of men are physically absent in their families. And yet in their absence, they're angry. And so mom has to get between dad and the kids. And if you don't believe me, the last month has been riddled with angry men walking into places with guns. America's new religion is not working, people. It's not working, men. We either allow the word of God to transform our anger or we allow the world to transform us into angry people. It's what James is getting at. In verse 25, he calls men to look intently to look intently. Look what he says here in verse 25. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This idea of looking intently is looking into the mirror, the word of God. It actually has the idea of stooping down and allowing the word of God to examine you. Which means practically, men, when you get up in the morning, don't turn on the radio or the news. 
Kneel at the edge of the bed you sleep in, put your hands together, look to the God of heavens and pray that you don't transform yourself into an angry person. And then open up the scriptures for at least five minutes and allow the word of God to give you freedom and blessing. We either allow the word of God to transform us or the world will transform us into something that we won't like. It starts with you, men. It starts with us. Taking responsibility for our families spiritually and emotionally and being present physically with the word of truth. Because if there is anyone looking at you, it is the children around your table and that live in your home. Let me pray for you. And let me pray for me. Father, we come to you now, as James says, humble. Because, Lord, we see what is going on in our own hearts, not just the world, but our own hearts. And at times, no one else knows it, but it is scary. And so, Lord, I just ask now that we would humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. And we would allow you to examine us. And change us. And help us to rewrite the wrongs, but to live in freedom. That only comes through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you're a good father. And out of love, you sent your son. And it's in his name we pray. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.